What's good, ladies and gentlemen? Josh Coker here, aka Josh Miss Prime. You know what it is. And today I'm coming back at you with a brand new episode of Polymathics, the channel that helps you become a modern day Renaissance man or woman. <laughs> and in this episode, I'm super pumped to introduce to everybody for the first time ever on podcast, my good friend, Dr. Marla Friedman. Now, for those of you who don't know who she is, let me run through just a few of her more significant accomplishments. She is a national speaker, a published author, a two-time cancer survivor. She also is a professor at Palm Beach State College, and she serves as a business coach. Moreover, she is a founding member and active member of several organizations within the cancer community. And in this episode, we're talking about her book, The Good Cancer, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And the reason why I think this is going to add so much value is because um, anybody who has ever been affected by cancer, whether you were diagnosed with it, whether you're a friend of someone who was diagnosed with it, or maybe a family member, this is really going to resonate because Marla talks about her personal trials that she went through when she survived both thyroid cancer and breast cancer. And more importantly, she shares some really good nuggets of wisdom about how she got through those times. And, um, and so I think that uh, that alone is going to add a lot of value. But also for those people who maybe have never been affected, this is going to familiarize you with the community and also give you uh, a new appreciation for all the things that people who have been diagnosed and family members and friends, like it gives you a new pre appreciation for, for all the things they have to go through. And um, aside from that, we talk a little bit about publishing and how to get your book out there. So I hope that sounds interesting. And without further ado, let's get into this interview. Okay, so Marla, here we are, finally doing the podcast Yay. that we've been talking about for, since forever, you know, and I was actually thinking, um, when I was preparing, I was like, the first time we met, and to give the audience context, we have a mutual friend, mm -hmm. Dr. Patch, professor in business, and I remember him saying, over and over again, you have to take Professor Friedman's marketing class you have to and it's just funny to think all the way back then all the stuff that we've done right we've published That's a book <laughs> got a business development board business expos we've done some extra some uh, some little side projects here we are doing a podcast and there's some other exciting things on the horizons that we're going to talk about later that's true <laughs> so thank you so much for coming and welcome thank you i'm very excited to do my first ever podcast <laughs> um so before we get started talking about the book and stuff, go ahead and just, for anybody out there who hasn't heard of you before, give us a little bit of background. Tell us about yourself. Okay. So as you mentioned, I'm a college professor teaching um, business marketing and entrepreneurship classes at Palm Beach State College. Um, also, two-time cancer survivor, which woop, woop. we'll, we'll yeah. talk about more. Um, what else? I have a... Very small, very old miniature poodle. 
Um, she can no longer see or hear, but she's she was still part managing. of the original. She was part of the original <laughs> illustrations that that's we true. did. That's right, <laughs> yes, right? That's yeah. true. Um, what else? I have two teenage sons, and they're super active. And pretty recently, in the last three years, I lost both my mother and mother-in-law to cancer. Right, and that's so, that's a little bit in the book, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So. Speaking of which, right, um, I know that when you had approached me and we were discussing this at first, you had already had a little bit of experience writing, and, um, but that was basically in like a compilation book on women in business, right? Correct. What made you decide or what compelled you to take on the daunting task of writing a whole entire book on your own about cancer? Okay, good question. Um, well, I did write a dissertation but that was in marketing, probably a few hundred pages. Um, not as fun to write that, to be honest, <laughs> than a book. And a book about your own story, you know, certainly is um, a little easier to write. Right, but you know doing, all the details. Right, <laughs> but the, the one chapter, um, it was uh, about female entrepreneurship. That was a good process. It got me kind of going, and okay, this is what it's like to write, deal with an editor, a publisher. So I thought, oh, it would be nice to have my own book. Um, and then I didn't really feel like there were tons of books out there to help others giving like actual tips um, when they're going through cancer or supporting a loved one. And that's a major thing that we focused on was those tips in each of the chapters where we said, hey, here's, here's the main topic of the chapter, but at the end, here's some tips that you can actually take right. action items and apply them to what you're going through right now. Correct. And I think that's one of the most powerful parts about your book. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. Now, the title is The Good Cancer. Correct. And um, I remember when we were first discussing it, that kind of pricked my ear. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Like, what the, the, the good what? Right? So kind of walk us through. What made you decide on that title? What's the reasoning behind that? Okay. So... When I was in my late 20s, I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time, um, and that was thyroid cancer. So imagine in your late 20s, everything is going great, newly married, good career, doctoral student, and out of nowhere, diagnosed with cancer. So for thyroid cancer, literally the doctor said to me, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is you have cancer. The good news is you have thyroid cancer. So thyroid cancer is typically called the good cancer. The quote-unquote good Always, cancer. Always, yeah. And, and what's the reason behind that? Is that because... It's um, treatable. It's, okay. And that's not true for all. There's different types, of course, um, of thyroid cancer. But um, I had papillary carcinoma. It's the most common type of thyroid cancer and is treatable. And, and I think, um, I, I don't want to like put you on the spot, but in your book, you, you start off with a pretty powerful statistic like, um, I forget, but it was like very a lot of people, it, like one out of ev every so many people get cancer. Like yes. it's and it's yes. not a it's not a. So the numbers are growing. Yeah. Right. So that's that's sort of why I went with the name, and then of course being diagnosed a second time with a different type of cancer. So I thought, okay, the good like what's good about cancer? Mm. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to pull some good things out of a challenging situation. For sure. And I think you absolutely did that. Thank you. Um, 
So I want to touch on this a little bit more because we just talked about like you do, I, I forget what the statistic was, but it was a pretty staggering statistic, even though like I had never heard it before, but a lot of people get cancer, Correct. right? Here's the thing though. It, it makes total sense that your book um, is going to add value to people who have been diagnosed with cancer, who are suffering through it. Um, who have family members and friends, but what about someone who has never been affected, like me? Like, what kind? Of, what, what's the importance of the book from their perspective? Well, perhaps um, even helping a friend. So, for example, in my twenties when I was diagnosed, my friends didn't know anyone with cancer yet because yeah. we were pretty young. So, you know, out of the blue, if you do have someone, a relative, a friend right, who's diagnosed, like, oh, okay, now I kind of have a better perspective or maybe just being a little more empathetic of what they're going through. Yeah. Because people, if you don't deal with cancer, like, oh, stay away, it's cancer. I, I don't want nothing to do with that, right? Right. But then, you know, um, if you are faced with that, it's just good to get an understanding of what the patient, right, even if it's not you, the patient is going through. And I can definitely, like, totally agree with that. Before I read the manuscript... For me, I, I was very ignorant of the subject. And I know I've told you this before, but for the audience, I'm very ignorant of the subject. I, um, I had never really been affected by it, no close family or friends. And so as I read through the manuscript, like I've told you before, but I mean, it gave me a whole different perspective on who you are and all the trials and challenges that you faced. And it also allowed me to empathize with those people who are going through it because now I have a level of understanding that I didn't have before, just like you were saying. So, it, you know, um, maybe, maybe your friends don't have cancer, but a friend of yours has a family member that has cancer. Right. Now it gives you insight into how, like the things that they're dealing with, you know? And um, so it was very insightful and I, I would recommend it and I have recommended it to people um, for that reason. And then the only other thing I would add, totally, and I, I can't remember if I told you this, but um, it was totally unexpected, but after the book was published, I'm telling friends and family about the project that we worked on, and it's published now, and I think it was my father, he's like, you know, your great-grandfather died of cancer. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. So I learned something about my family history that I would have never known had I not gone down that little wow. rabbit hole, so... Um, very, very interesting. Uh, okay, so while you were, because as you mentioned, you were diagnosed with two different types of cancers at two different times. Correct. So what would you say were the most challenging aspects from any of that? Um, but, you know, from your perspective, what, what would you say were the most challenging things that you had to deal with? How much time do we have? No, just kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> we could go kidding. on for days. <laughs> um, the, so I'll make it quick. The first, um, the thyroid cancer, you know, you have surgery, you have radiation. The, um, the treatment for thyroid cancer really hasn't changed in over 40 years, honestly. It's sort of this very same protocol. So um, in the surgery, they tell you that there's a chance that your um, vocal cords will be weak when you wake up, and that you might have a very soft voice. Maybe almost like a sore throat, but your voice is not very strong. But it should get better. So I woke up and that happened to me after my surgery. And they said, it'll get better. I'm like, okay, didn't get better. 
So I started sort of doing my own treatments. Um, I did Chinese herbal therapy. I basically took dried bugs and put them and made them to tea and drank them. Oh, sounds like tons of fun. The, the smell, <laughs> I went to a Chinese medicine doctor, yeah. The smell was so putrid that the tea kettle had to go outside on the patio. Oh. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> that didn't do anything. I did acupuncture. Um, I went to speech therapy, was a speech pathologist. That did nothing. Basically, after 12 months, it didn't get better. And when you say it didn't get better, you mean like you could barely, you barely had any, any tone in your voice, right? Yeah, would like, you like to hear it? It's awful. <laughs> it's like this. Oh my God. For 12 months. Well, obviously things are better now. So like, so, so was it just after the 12 months it finally started to? Oh no, or? it never got better. I mean, so, it sounds good now. It does for a reason. Very crisp and clear. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, plus I, you know, over the past 20 some odd years, I have been a professor on and off. So right. when you speak for a living, it's not good when you really have no voice, yeah. literally. Um, and things that you don't think of. So not only can you just not have a conversation, things like prompts on the phone, you know, think about like, oh, say which one you want, customer service, cause, and I couldn't even do that. Oh my god! So I couldn't really conduct myself right. on the phone on day to day easy things that you take it for was granted. Really before. irritating. So um, I found a specialist who did vocal surgeries. Okay. After going locally, um, I asked. I think this is in the book. I asked the surgeon, like, so there's a surgery to repair the vocal cords, basically. Um, so I asked the local guy I was referred to, how many of these have you done? And he said about 40. And I said, okay, so like this year? He's like, oh, no, my entire career. Mm. I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm out of here. <laughs> not, so, enough, yeah, not enough experience I, for me. I found a specialist. It's the only thing he does is um, vocal surgeries in New York City. Um, he's this world-renowned surgeon. And you actually have to use your voice for your living in order to go to this particular doctor. Um, so it was a voice institute created for Broadway actors in the 40s. Oh, wow. And they had, they actually put you in a sound studio, um, and they test your voice before and after. Holy cow. And you're actually awake during the surgery. So what happened is, not to be too medical, but, um, the, the thyroid cancer was on my laryngeal nerve. So they scrape it mm -hmm. to get the cancer cells off. And in doing so, they, um, inadvertently, uh, paralyzed my left vocal cord. So once you have two vocal cords, right, right and left, mm -hmm. if one's not working, this is going to happen. Because <laughs> the air cannot get in, and that produces right. your, your voice. So during the surgery, they're trying to get that unparalyzed. I was awake during the surgery, and they were, I was speaking because they had to tune. Oh, wow. So you're talking as they're working. Correct. Wow. That's, that's so, so and then after the surgery for 10 days, I couldn't speak at all. Mm. Because, you know, you're recovering. Right. So... Um, that was fun. I got to stay in a very fancy apartment in New York City for 10 days with my mother-in-law, and we had a good time, although I couldn't speak. <laughs> Played a lot of Scrabble. So my voice, and then you go back, and they put you back in the recording studio, right, the sounds, and they, they test everything, and right now my voice is about 90% back, but there is a silicone implant in my vocal cord. Mm. That permanently. helps, yeah. Permanently. Hopefully mm. it will never come out. Yeah. But yeah, so now it's about 95%. Um, according to my children, it's a good thing I'm not allowed to yell or raise my voice <laughs> or scream ever. So, yeah, I do not I'm yell. I'm sure they appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, so, you asked me about challenges. That was a yeah, huge, Yeah, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's something that I don't think, um, at least those who are outsiders like myself, um, 
would have considered to even be related to cancer. Because, you know, again, I get it. It's thyroid cancer. That's where you're, that's where it's at is near the vocal cords. But I don't think people connect those dots. So to realize that like even simple day-to-day tasks, like talking to people, being able to raise your voice, like that's insane. And that's the thing that really fascinated me to go back to what I was saying earlier about your book. These are the insights that people who are completely like, it just gives you a whole different perspective on what people are going through. And then I think too, for people who are going through something similar, you just talked to, you said at least one or two things that are like, Hey, don't try this. Cause it didn't really work. Right. right? Like stinky bugs. Let's yeah. not drink that. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. So uh, was there anything else? Well, there's lots of challenges. I mean, and certainly both cancers were completely different. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, losing your voice um, is, wasn't easy. That was hard. Yeah. Sure. Um, while you were going through all of this stuff, for, for either of the diagnoses, was there anything that was able to help you get through? Like, like you felt like was a real help to, to, to your... Um, I guess, attitude about the whole thing? Sure. Um, I was the first time, for some reason, I started reading books about philosophy. (laughs) And I don't know, people in adverse situations, I'm not sure why, I picked up this book, I think it was trending at the time, again, this was a while ago, called Socrates Cafe. Mm. It was about people across the country. It was real, like nonfiction. They're getting together and talking about philosophical questions. They're meeting in libraries and you know, other meeting places and just having these talks. I don't know. For some reason, I was drawn to things like that. I even started reading um, Night by Ellie Wiesel. Right. About I the remember. Holocaust. Yeah. Like, why am I reading about When we were Holocaust? first talking, that I mentioned that <laughs> having not read any of your stuff. And you're like, I actually have that in the script of the book. Yeah, I actually I was, read that. I what don't a know. good, yeah. So, you know, of course, reading books um, may or may not be helpful, depending on which books. Um, so also, um, things like exercise I'm a big believer in so even when you're not feeling well I, re- I just remember kind of forcing myself to go out for a walk for example like kind of literally like dragging myself outside like okay just walk right and you always feel better after right any sort of really exercise um, and then more recently things like yoga um, I every week I go to a yoga for cancer survivors class that is the best so that yoga I'm a big believer of that um, I also have a great app on my phone for meditation. I do it every day. Um, it's called Calm, but there's tons of other ones. Huh, calm, and, huh? Yeah, C-A-L-M. Actually... It's great. It's 10 minutes, and it's different, and it's every single day. It's okay. daily meditation. So, again, like before I even get out of bed, I do it because I know if I don't, it won't get done. Right. Um, so that's been super helpful. And then um, I think this is also in the book, My Journey with Dragon Boating. Oh, right. That, that so, was one of the, I thought that was a really cool thing. I didn't even know about, right? Yeah. I didn't know they did those things, right? Yeah. So that began um, after I was healing from breast cancer five years ago. I was I, actually, this is my cancer anniversary, my five year this year oh. for breast cancer. So when I was healing from dragon boating, I had remembered um, meeting a woman years ago from Canada. And she's like, oh, I do this thing called dragon boating. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, lady. So I remembered that. And I sort of was looking for something physical to do as a challenge when I was recovering. And just for the and audience's help. benefit, like explain in very, you know, briefly, like what is dragon boating? Okay. So it is an ancient Chinese sport. Okay. 
So if you're familiar with rowing or crew, right, they're long, narrow boats, but instead of the skulls that are used for crew, um, these have two people in each row with only one paddle per mm. person. So either you're on the left side or the right side, right? Um, the long boats seat 20. There's 10 rows. Wow. And then we have the shorter boats that seat 10. Um, so this sport has been going on a very long time, but there was... Um, he was a sports medicine physician in Canada, realized that this, the motion of rowing would be really good for breast cancer survivors mm. to strengthen certain muscles that were probably weak from surgery and so forth. So he was a huge proponent of dragon boating. And now so it the, serves like a double benefit. So right. So dragon boating, um, my particular team here in South Florida is made up of all breast cancer survivors and supporters. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's about not only the, you know, the paddling, we call it paddling, not rowing, the paddling that we do, but it's also the camaraderie. Sure, sure. So, because we've all sort of been in similar situations. And now I can imagine that some people listening to this might say, okay, um, you guys are in Florida, right? Are there... You, you kind of alluded to it, but like, is it like a nationwide kind of thing or, well, I mean, I guess it would be anywhere where there's kind of water, but like, how does that work? Do you know anything about that? So it's international. You know, mm -hmm. um, the dragon boating for breast cancer was started in Canada and, um, has spread throughout the world. So there's tons and tons of teams in Canada, of course, in the winter. Sometimes they paddle on ice, believe it or not. They've outfitted the boats with skates. Holy cow. Sometimes they do it in a pool. We're fortunate here. We do it year-round. And and you also, I don't know if you, I know I know it's in the book, like you went to England, right? Italy. 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 That's right. That's right. Because you had to like wave, wave down the cab driver or something, right? Oh, or... the handsome Italian on the oh, Vespa. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, the Vespa. That's yeah. right. The Vespa. <laughs> yeah. So um, this past summer, um, our team participated in the International Dragon Boat um, Festival. So it's almost like the Olympics is every four years in a different country. So this past summer, it was in Florence, Italy. And there were hundreds of teams. This is actually the largest female athletic event in the world. Oh, wow. Because it's, you know, basically mostly females. And the teams, I mean, we met teams from Australia and New Zealand and all over Canada, of course. So it was, it was pretty neat. And, you know, we're, we're um, on the river in Florence. So it was just... It's a, it's yeah. a pretty view, too. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Now, uh, do you want to put out on any kind of plug for them while you're... Because don't you, sure. you kind of, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so our team, um, we have practices twice a week here in Jupiter, Florida. And um, we're very fortunate to have a beautiful lighthouse as our background. Um, palm trees and uh, just great scenery and really nice clear water. Um, so it's Lighthouse Dragons is the name of our team. We have a Facebook group. Um, but again, there's teams all over the state of Florida, all over the United States, and all over the world. And we, there's an international commission for dragon boating. So if you're not down here in Florida, there's most likely a place that you can link up with someone. Oh, absolutely. Even yeah. New York City. I was at um, Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital two weeks ago in Manhattan, and I actually saw there was a whole sign for the New York City chapter of the breast cancer dragon boating team. That's so awesome. So they're all literally all over. Yeah. I, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, no matter what your, um, I guess, tribe is, that adding a physical component mm -hmm. is always beneficial to the quote-unquote tribe members. So um, 
I, I might be going a little bit out of order from what we had discussed earlier, but um, what what do you think are some myths that that people have about cancer in general? Maybe it's someone like me who doesn't have know a lot about it, or even people who have been diagnosed, or maybe people, you know, you tell me, like, what do you think are some myths out there that people just don't understand? So when I thought about this question, Josh, I was like, okay, so there's tons of myths, right? You can Google myths about cancer, tons mm-hmm. of things, like sugar and like tons of things. But I, I want it to be a little more personal. Sure. And what I came up with is that healthy people can't get cancer. Mm. So imagine I, throughout high school and half of college, I was a vegetarian, right? In high school, I did four years on the cross-country ski team. Like I was always active. I always ate pretty well, pretty healthy. I never had any you know, anything wrong with me ever. No medical problems until cancer. Right. So how does and, that and, happen? And I should, I should make note of this to the people who are listening to the podcast. Um, if you can't see Marla right now, she is in really good shape. <laughs> so um, she's, yeah, she's a healthy person. And for as long as I've known her, she's also promoted very healthy things. So <laughs> Right. So... You know, that, I think that is a myth, like, oh, you know, there's right. nothing wrong with you, and out of the, almost really out of the blue, right. like, oh, you have cancer, right. kind of crazy. So, um, to me, that was, like, the most important thing, like, this thing, like, oh, you're, if you're healthy, you can't get cancer, right? right? Now, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I do think this is another thing, like, my mind was going to this, I know your mother passed away from cancer, right? Um, but before that, and I forget, excuse me if you told me this before, but did you, was there any other occurrences in your family of that? Like, was it, was there a family history or was this yeah, like... Yeah, that's a very valid question. So both my grandmothers had breast cancer. Okay. But they also, um, they didn't have chemo or anything. They had surgery mm-hmm. and it was removed and they lived another you know, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't actually a really big deal at all. Okay. Um, but I had known that about them. Right. Yeah. And um, that was really it that I knew about. Right. About well, cancer. like I said, right. I didn't even know my, my great-grandfather. So, you know, it's like... But I was just curious because I know there's a thing out there that... I think some people think, too, that if you do have people in your family, that it's almost like you're going to get it, you know? And it's like, I don't know if that's true either, you know? I don't think that everybody who has something running in their family... I don't know. You tell me, like... Yeah, so, you know, I know a lot of you out there have heard about genetic testing, which Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend, um, um, especially when you're diagnosed with cancer, and in particular breast cancer, they always ask you, you know, whether it's the BRCA test, or now there's actually a a really more extensive panel of testing you can do for for cancers. So I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, I've got two grandmothers, they had breast cancer, right? my mom had pancreatic cancer, and that's really a little different, not really genetic. But I was thinking, well, maybe I have the BRCA gene, maybe I have this, right? Mm. It, has, it has to be, right? I was prone to have a BRCA gene um, because of my um, heritage, but everything came back negative. Wow. <laughs> All of, I had wow. two panels of genetic testing, um, one when, uh, when I was first diagnosed and one um, of which I received the results yesterday at the oncologist, and everything's negative. So I actually looked up the stat, Josh, because I was like a little curious about this. Yeah. So 
it says, according to the National Cancer Institute, only about 5 to 10% of cancers are caused by those gene mutations from your parents. Interesting. So there's another, that's another common misconception. Though. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, like, is it genetic? Not really. I mean, that's kind of rare. Mm. So, but it did say that changes in your own genes over time, that can cause cancer. Mm. But that has nothing to do with the genes that you're inheriting. Right. Right. From your parents. So for what that's worth, you know, should you do genetic testing? Probably. Right. Just to, hurt, yeah, right. But and then at the at the end of the day, the bottom line is if you're diagnosed, you have it, right? So Yeah, and I remember I had a friend and um we were probably in our early thirties, right? And she wanted to have the genetic testing mm-hmm. because maybe I think someone in her family had it. She goes for the test. They do the testing, and within all the testing, they said, oh, let's just do like a baseline mammogram or something. She was already in stage three breast cancer. Oh, my gosh. Out of the blue. Oh, my gosh. And had to have surgery and chemo and everything. So it's kind of a crazy story. So it is worth it to, you know. To get yourself looked at. But realize that then you might be faced with some hard decisions. True. So, yeah. All right. Um, Let me see here. Was there... Okay, with all of that being said, right, we've, we've kind of, I don't want, like, I, as we're talking, I was thinking about some other interesting things that you mentioned in your books, in your book, but I don't, what I don't want to do is give away, like, too, too much, much yeah. and, like, tell everything right. about the book, but um, would you say, like, or, or is there one thing that you could say as, like, the golden gem, the golden nugget of wisdom that you would give to anybody who has either recently been diagnosed, has been dealing with cancer for a while, or maybe they're friends and family of it. Like, do you have anything um, that you think could help? Sure. Um, Google is not a doctor. Mm. Don't stay up all night Googling your ailment, your cancer. That is a very bad idea. And that's typically what most people do. They come home from the doctor Oh, let me look it up. Thyroid cancer. <laughs> Don't do that. Right. Cause, and then the, and I, I thought that this was um, a very in, great insight that you had in your book um, because I think um, not only does it apply to cancer, but it kind of transcends. It's like any, any, anybody who's diagnosed with anything, like that's a, that's a pretty good rule to follow because <laughs> what's going to happen is on Google, the things that are going to rank at the top are like the big news stories which are probably going to be like the worst case scenario, which is not what the general populace is going through. So I 100% agree with that. And having dealt with kidney stones before (laughs) and looked at it. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) It's a bad idea. (laughs) Right. So, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's tons of tips in the book, but mainly it's, um, for me, it was really important to get second, third, and fourth opinions Mm. from doctors. Yes. Because I went to half a dozen doctors both times, and they all had different opinions of what course of action to take, which is a little shocking, upsetting, and really confusing. Mm. But it's better than going to one and just saying, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right? So always get more than one opinion, basically. You just need to do that. Um, And I even like uh, earlier when you said you spoke to um, the one doctor and he had only done 40 procedures in his whole life, like... It was a good thing that you continued to search to see right. if there was somebody else that had more experience. So not only looking for a second opinion, but also not just counting on the first person you come across. Right. I think is um, 
I know that's kind of jumping on, on what you said. Yeah, but, but those, those are my tips. In fact, um, when I was first diagnosed, I was looking for resources um, for thyroid cancer, and there really, I couldn't really find many um, things like local support groups, so I started one. So I, um, I founded the um, Thyroid Cancer Survivors Association local support group for all, all of South Florida, serving all the way from Palm Beach to Miami, all three counties. And how can people find them? So that's thyca.org, T-H-Y-C-A. Um, we, are, um, we are international. And there's chapters in really every major city, and we have an annual conference every year. That's great. And I know, too, um, we'll mention this kind of at the end, but in, in your book, you have a list of resources and a, kind of a link to your website, which also has a list of resources that gets updated as appropriate. Correct. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the journey of cancer. But then there's this whole other journey that you went on, which is publishing, a, like writing a full-fledged book and, and getting it published. And so tell me, um, you know, what do you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So it was, um, all in all, you know, a great experience. I had, did have trepidation at the beginning. Like, first of all, who's interested? Why is this interesting? Yeah. Is my story boring? You're kind of writing it about yourself. Is this too narcissistic, right? That sort of thing. Like, I don't know. And it's a little personal. Yeah. So if I'm writing, especially breast cancer, I'm talking about scars and surgeries yeah. and appearance. And um, I don't know. It's a little nerve-wracking, to sure. be honest. I mean, maybe if I was writing fiction, it would be a little different. But that aspect of it, um, I was a little nervous about. And I remember um, we had more than one conversation about this, but the one that sticks out in my mind was you, you had mentioned that. You're like, Josh, who's going to read this? And, you know, this is kind of personal. And I thought to myself, from the reader's point of view, right? And this, this goes for anybody who's thinking about writing. From the reader's point of view, the more personal you can get and the more vulnerable you can be, um, it draws them in. Because they see that you're a real person, you know, and you're not keeping up that barrier. But it's a scary thing as a writer because you're letting people into your, you, you know, the things that you don't normally tell people that you come across on the street, you know. So it's, um, but I think you've received a very good, um, what's the word, like everybody that reads the book, we, we, every book that, every review that we've gotten so far is five stars. <laughs> And what were you telling me today? Um, um, so I was at the oncologist yesterday. I do still go every three months. And um, I did give her a book, of course. Um, and also went to the chemo room at the office. And she said, oh, by the way, I read your book. I'm like, uh-oh. She's like, you're a really good writer. It's really good. I was like, well, I couldn't believe it. And actually, that was, that was one of my first, aside from like, oh, this is a fascinating topic that I'm completely ignorant of, right? That was my initial reaction when I read the manuscript back when it was like just 3,000-something pages, or sorry, 3,000-something <laughs> words. Um, I said to myself, okay, we got to flesh out some parts, but the parts that are here, they're written very well. And, um, of course, being a college <laughs> professor, I would expect nothing less. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was at that moment that I said, we've got something that we can work with. You know, it's, it's not going to be like... I will say this, though, on the publisher side of the house, for people who are considering going down this road and you are having that trepidation 
and you're worried. One, I would say don't be worried. But two, um, there are assets out there that you can use, whether it's a ghostwriter or an editor, that will help make sure that you don't put something out there that's, um, that's inappropriate right. or, or not right, you know. Um, I think that, in my mind, um, one of the things with writing is perfection causes procrastination because you want to have Correct. the perfect thing and it's never going to be there. Yeah. And um, then you procrastinate rather than just getting your story out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I do tend to be a perfectionist being a Virgo. And I don't mean you personally. But I no, mean, it's you true. know, people. Right. It's I'm true. the same way. Um, okay. So now that the, so that was like, you know, we're going through, we're, we're going through the process and stuff. Now that you're on the other end of the process, you've gone from cradle to grave with this. And I know we're still working on things, but the book is published now. What, what are your insights? Like, what are things that maybe you hadn't expected or, or turned out differently than what you might have thought? Any, anything like that about the writing or publishing process in general? Um, well, the publishing, I mean, honestly, I was using that as an excuse as to why I hadn't finished the book. So I started writing this book um, in between cancers, if you will, right? So I was writing. I'm like, oh, I have this idea, and I'm writing. And I enjoy writing. Writing, to me, is fun. So I'm writing, and then the excuse was I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer, so I stopped writing. And then I really thought that recovering from a double mastectomy, I would finish the book. And of course, that didn't happen. So this book, I mean, it's not like it happened overnight. I right. mean, we're talking years. Yeah. So I would and, say in four some to five sense, years. it's a life's work. Yeah. Correct. Four to five years. And even my business coach, you know, every, he, every time I saw him, did you finish your book yet? Did you finish right. your book? I'm like, oh no. I'm like one day, I'm going to tell him I finished and I did it. So um, it's definitely a process. Yeah. But, you know, having, you know, a publisher, first of all, that, you know, has the knowledge to, published because that was really my second excuse the first was cancer not finishing then I'm like well I don't know how to publish like the first time I had this you know publishing company behind me this time I don't know what to do do I self-publish I don't know and do I go and like send it to New York I, I just don't know what to do so you know that's why it was so great working together because you know how to get it done and get it on Amazon and get a Kindle version right and now we're translating into Spanish I mean it's like you Maybe know, you have an audible version. Yeah, audible right, version. Audible soon. version. Yeah. So, again, once you write the book, like that's great. As I tell my marketing students, like you're not done. You just yeah. started. Yeah. Great. You have a brand new product no one's ever heard of. Now what? Right. So it's almost like now we just started something new. And that's something that I think is um, important for for people who are planning on writing a memoir type book, any kind of book, but. Um, it's it's not like a one and done. It's not like you finish and then you know all the, it's it's part of your life now. It's like your child almost. You know, once your child is born, it's not like you just leave it on the corner somewhere. You have to raise it and and help it grow. You know, and um, I think you've done a really great job, and I think you're continuing to do a great job with that. And I would I would recommend to people out there who are considering doing a book like. If you think it's just going to end there, it doesn't, right? Right. It continues. Right. And that's why I call, I mean, that's why I think it's a whole other journey that you're just starting, you know? And, and it's in parallel, though. Um, I had another question about... Ah, do you have any 
just like before, like you had you had some tips for people who are dealing with cancer. Do you have any tips for people who are thinking about writing their own book? I mean, I know we were kind of just going over some, but do you have any specific ones? Sure, just do it. Just so, do it. Perfect. There's a lot of people. Oh, I, I have this idea for a book. I mean, how many people have you met? Oh, I want to oh write my a book. God, oh, I have this time. book. I started this book. Everyone has a book. Right. Either an idea or half written, a quarter written, right? But why did they never finish? It's very similar to my doctoral degree. You know the percentage of people in the world who have doctoral degrees? One person. Really? It's one. Wow. It's not that I'm smart. It has nothing to do with that. I'm a very, very persistent person. Mm. It's not about being You finish smart. what you started. My doctorate took me years. Mm. I mean, I won't admit how many, but years. <laughs> years. Because I was also working full-time and you know doing other right. things. Um, dealing with cancer was one of them. But I was determined to finish it. So you have to be persistent and you know have goals and be able to finish things. You know, and if this is a side hustle, a project, you're gonna put it to the side. Well, I gotta work. I gotta take care of my family. I gotta go do this, and it'll never get done. So that's why you know working together was helpful because I'm I'm good with deadlines. You put me on a deadline. I need this right. draft by this date. Fine, I'll do it. Well, it was also good working with you because you came with some big business background. So right. it was good to know. Like the thing that blew my mind was. Here, here you are um, with like 3,000 something words to start with, and, but you had already gotten pre-orders. And I was right. like, this is great. <laughs> most, most of the fiction people I deal with, they don't even think that far ahead. They're only thinking about the story and oh, they're right. not thinking about right. how do you sell it, you know? Right. So, um, all right. So as we start to wrap up here, why, I know you have some things coming up. <laughs> I want you to tell the audience, what are some things that you have on the horizons? What are some, some of the things that you're planning on doing this year? Okay. Well, since we, I don't know, I've known you, what, over a year? We've known each other? Roughly. Roughly, yeah. So I typically try to take on a lot of challenges. I'm not sure why that is. Probably because I'm nuts. But <laughs> <laughs> um, last year, it was this international dragon boating race um, in Italy. This year, I am strongly thinking and considering and have been asked to run a marathon um, on a team for a cancer charity to raise money for cancer research. So I'm thinking about it. Um, I probably am doing it. I just have to wrap my head around the actual running part of it. I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll mention it here, but there's a book by David Goggins. He, he does ultra marathons. Mm -hmm. If you read that, you, you'll be like, yes, really? I can do it. I'm going to read yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, that's what's happening. And, you know, it takes, there's a, some blog I just recently found. It's called, like, Couch to Marathon in Six Months, something like, it's for non-runners. I'm not mm. a runner. Even though she looks like one. I'm not a runner. She looks like she's in, she's, she's <laughs> not, in great shape. <laughs> not a runner at all. Um, especially having a son who's a track star and captain of his track team. Oh, he okay. definitely tells me every day I'm not a runner. <laughs> so um, I don't need to win the New York City Marathon. I just want to finish it. Right. That's the goal. Right. And raise money for cancer. So um, that's what's happening. So, of course, when... Um, I was considering the invitation to participate on this team. I thought, wait a minute, there's a book in here. <laughs> yeah. So now um, I already wrote the outline, and I have an idea for a second book. And um, we've we've been brainstorming about some some very interesting opportunities that 
that it could have to help incorporate other people into the process as well. So right. And um, the other thing we kind of alluded to um, was we're looking at possible Audible options and like getting it out on Audible and in Spanish because that's that's a very easy way to spread the story to an audience that um, that reads pretty much the same stuff as English speakers. So right, and you know, I I lived in Spain um, as an exchange student. And um, my friend in Spain recently said, oh, yeah, my, my aunt has breast cancer. So there's just like, it's not just here. You know, cancer, unfortunately, is around the world. Absolutely. So and why that's, not? So, and that's another thing that I don't think um, many people who are American realize. Um, having, having learned another language, traveled outside of the U.S., but just the amount of books that are available to people in other languages are like leaps and bounds lower um, than the amount that are in English. So, so, um, you know, expanding the, the topic to other, to other languages, I think is very helpful for the community. So, yeah. So I'm excited about that as well. Um, all right. Any last words of wisdom? Um, of course. So, um, I have two quotes on my desk. Great vibes only, so mm. positive energy, right? Surround yourself with positive people. Um, and again, it's not easy, you know. I just lost both mothers to cancer. Like, you know, you have your sad days, but try to think positive. And then um, my colleague, so I have a professor in my office, is a triathlete. So he's been very supportive on these, this idea of running, of course. Um, and every, almost every day, he comes in my office and he said, keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I wrote that down. And, I, um, you know, even when I do coaching, I actually had a company called, um, you know, moving forward. So I like that. To me, that just means keep, like, moving forward. Like, you have to keep going, right? Right. So, There's no time for the rearview mirror. You right. Keep... If you don't feel well, you're having a bad day, you just you have to keep going. Absolutely. I love that. That's great. Um, all right, Marla, where can people reach you at? Okay, so um, my website, thegoodcancer.com, is a great place. Um, you can also find me on social media, The Good Cancer on Instagram, also on um, LinkedIn, so all over the place. But my website has my phone number, my email, and everything. All the contact yeah. information and everything. Thegoodcancer.com. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, Dr. Friedman. It is always a pleasure to have you on. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Josh Coker, a.k.a. Josh Miss Prime from Polymathics. And until next time, take it easy. Thank you. How would you feel about that? It was good. I'll turn this off. You don't need to be recording this part. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the interview, and hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. You know, it's always a pleasure talking with Marla. She's very insightful, both with things regarding cancer, but also with things regarding business. And she and I actually have some other projects that we didn't really touch on here in this interview, but I'm hoping that in future podcasts, we get to discuss those items as well. 
But um, for those of you that want to learn more about Marla, I've left her a link to her website and her email address down in the description section below. And one other thing I wanted to bring your attention to is that she actually provides coaching to people who have been affected by cancer. That's something we didn't really talk about during the interview. But if you've been diagnosed, if you're a family member or a friend of someone who's been affected by cancer, she is there and provides services to help people get to where they need to go no matter what stage they are in that journey. So if you if those services sound like something you might need or maybe a friend needs, go ahead and you can reach out to her directly. Um, her email is drmarlaf at gmail.com. Again, that's dr as in doctor, marlaf at gmail.com. And then her website is thegoodcancer.com. That is www.thegoodcancer, all one word, .com. And that about does it. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Josh Coker, a.k.a. Josh Miss Prime, coming at you from Story Ninjas, Stories That Pack a Punch. All of our information is also down in the description below. And that ends this episode of Polymathics, the channel that helps you become a modern-day renaissance man and or woman. But until next time, keep reaching for your full potential.